Uh, Spurgeon gave this advice to the preacher. Dash yourself with gasoline, strike a match, set yourself on fire, and people will come to watch you burn. That's the quote that came to my mind when I thought about preaching out there in the sun this morning. So I I didn't realize I was going to be up here. Uh, I am fully equipped with SPF 50 sunscreen, so I was ready. Uh, So I'm John Hansen, and uh, my wife Carolyn and I, we've been going here since COVID, so about a year and a half or so. And we have four daughters, Chloe, Claire, Kaylin, and Kate, and they are 12, 10, 9, and 7. And uh, we, uh, we realized, I was thinking about it, like, I keep meeting new people at church who have gone to Redemption Hill longer than me, you know, because like, indoor, outdoor video church, it's sometimes a little tricky to figure out who's all going to our church. Um, but if we haven't met you yet, we would love to meet you. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. We'll be looking at John eight thirty one through 36. A few year, years back, I remember I was sharing the gospel with a relative. I'll, I'll call him Uncle Brad for this morning. And I knew that if I couldn't convince Uncle Brad of his sinfulness, then I couldn't convince him of his need for Christ. Uncle Brad, you are a sinner. You need a savior. He responded, and I remember his words, I am a good man. I have never cheated on my wife. Because that is the standard of goodness. Well, that's great, Uncle Brad. But the Bible says that all have sinned. We all need a Savior, so you're a sinner too. And at that point, Uncle Brad got up and walked out. A lot of people stumble over that first point of the gospel. And that first point is, you're not a good person. You do need a savior. You are actually a slave to sin. And Jesus has come to set us free. In John 8, we are in the middle of one of the, actually probably the most hostile interaction between Jesus and the Jews. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus claims to be the light of the world. In verse 30, it says that many believed in him. At least they had some sort of a faith until he started telling them things they didn't like. So John 8, 31 through 36, we see a promise, an objection, and Jesus gives three responses. So the promise, Jesus offers freedom to true disciples. The objection, the Jews say, "Uh, we're already free. And then three responses. One, you're not free. You are slaves to sin. Two, slaves get the boot. Only sons get to stay. And three, the sun sets people free. Free indeed, as the text says. So let's start by reading the text. Verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. So he's speaking presumably to people who are on his side on his team, and he gives them a promise. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, 
and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So it sounds like a nice promise, but the Jews resent what he says. They object. Verse 33, they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Then Jesus gives three responses to their question. Basically says, I'll tell you, how is it that I say you will become free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So Jesus distinguishes between a son and a slave. And notice if you look at verse 35 and verse 36, in verse 35, we have the lowercase s for son. In verse 36, we have the capital S for son. The lowercase and capital are not in the Greek. But in verse 35, son, lowercase s, refers to Christians who have been adopted into the family of God. In verse 36, capital S, son, refers to the son of God. Jesus refers to himself. Verse 36, so if the son sets you free, you will be free Indeed. And that is my hope this morning that you'd walk out of here free indeed. Can I hear an amen? So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray. Oh God, set us free. For those in darkness, Lord, may they see a great light this morning. Through Jesus Christ, remove the blinders, remove the chains. For those saints this morning who are stuck in besetting sin, set them free to walk in holiness. Help us to believe the gospel, especially in those moments right after we sin. Help us to believe that all of our sins are forgiven and that we are cleansed by the blood of Christ. Transform us, Lord, and give us hearts that love you more than we love our sin. Set us free. Amen. So I entitled the message today, Free Indeed. My favorite book on purity is called Finally Free. It's by Heath Lambert. Love the title, love the content. The subtitle says, Fighting for Purity with the Power of Grace. And if you're a guy living in our culture, in our time period, you need a few purity books on hand. They are very helpful. In my estimation, this is the best. Really like Purity Principle. I forget the guy's name. That's a really good one too. Uh, my favorite verse in the Bible is Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The Berean Study Bible translates it this way. It is for cre freedom that Christ has set us free. Let me say it plainly. Christ has set you free so that you would be free. As, as Romans 6.4 says, God saved you not so that you could walk around in chains the rest of your life, but so that you can walk in newness 
of life. Romans 6, 4. So let's jump in. We're just going to go verse by verse through the text and unpack it. Verse 31 begins, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. It says they had believed. Which is a bit surprising considering the rest of this chapter. I was talking to a friend of mine and he said back when he was a teenager working at Mount Gilead, he found this text and he walked into the cafeteria and he, he showed it to his friends. He's like, look, there's, there's biblical evidence for a, a basic believer and then like a real believer Christian. Because have, you have those who had believed and then we have the true disciples drop the mic. And he was like, yeah, there it is. Well, at dinner at Mount Gilead, the other guy came back and said, hey, dummy, did you read the rest of the chapter? Because in the course of chapter 8, Jesus makes four accusations about these people who had believed. He says, number one, you're slaves to sin. Two, Abraham is not your father. Three, God is not your father. And four, you are sons of the devil. So these are not die-hard followers of Jesus. They are fair-weather fans at best. John uses the finite Greek verb for believe here. He says they had believed. And that tense is often used for those who expressed interest in Jesus, but they, tr they don't truly become his disciples. They may be the Hebrews 6 believers. They've tasted of the heavenly gift but later they walk away. They are, as Jesus says, the rocky ground believers. They spring up quickly, but then the sun comes out and they wither because they have no root. In Scripture, true heart-transformed, spiritually resurrected, fruit-bearing, Free in Christ believers are often referred to with the Greek present participle, believing. We don't want to be those who had believed at one time. We want to be blood-bought saints who continue in the faith. We are the believing. Amen? So continuing in verse 31, Jesus gives these Jews who had believed a promise. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And notice he begins with an if. Now if you're like me, I, I love when I see an if. Yeah, I might be getting a warning. I might be getting a promise. When I see an if, I think good things are coming. If you sow, you will reap. If you work, you will get paid. Jesus says, if you abide in my word. Basic question. Are you reading your Bible? How's it gone this week? How's next week going to go? You got to be in the book. Jesus says, if you believe what I say, if you meditate on my word, you live there, you abide, you stay put. 
If you walk in my ways, then good things are coming. And Jesus says, three good things are coming, to be precise. You will be a true disciple. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So let's break those down. So first, you will be a true disciple. You will be true. How'd you like that to be said of you? That you're true. You are authentic, real. You're not a fake Christian. You're a true follower of Jesus. One who really does love Jesus. A sincere, devout believer. You'll be a student. A disciple is a learner. You sit at the feet of Jesus. You observe his way of living with great interest. You seek to model your life after his practice. You watch what he does and you do it. You seek to model your life after his teaching. You listen to what he says. You believe it. You obey it. You make it a practice in the day in and the day out of your life to be in his word and to walk in his ways. Next, you know the truth. Lost people do not know the truth. Life does not make sense to them. They are pawing around in the dark in a world of utter confusion, but not you. You abide in his word. You know the truth. And third, the truth will set you free. And maybe if you are a Christian today and you feel like, I feel like I'm just living in bondage, walking in chains. Maybe you got to spend some more time in the truth. Now the truth sets you free in a couple ways. First, immediately. Immediately, you are forgiven of all of your sin. You are adopted into God's family. You are granted eternal life. You go from slave to son. Second, you are free, freed gradually. You're growing in grace. You're getting better and better at walking in the ways of the Lord. You're sinning less. The fruit of the Spirit is developing in you. Now, sometimes that's hard to, to realize as a Christian because as you're growing in grace and becoming more like Christ, you're also becoming more and more aware of your sin. So sometimes you don't feel like you're progressing as much as you are because God is revealing more dark areas and little corners of your heart. But when Jesus sets you free your life starts changing. Not perfectly, but more and more in your character and your practice, you are becoming like Jesus. You are like a guilty man on trial. You drug your guilt around like a ball and chain, knowing that judgment awaited you. But then you met Jesus. He washed away your sin. He took away your guilt. He gave you hope. He gave you joy. He set you free. And what a promise. If you abide in his word, all of this is yours. And these Jews have got to be excited, right? They got to be jumping up and down. Jesus, this is great. Not so much. 
Number two, they object. We have an objection. They get stuck on one word, free. Jesus says, you will be set free. This is good news. But they find it insulting because Jesus is implying that they're not already free, but rather that they are slaves. Verse 33, they answered him, whoa, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? We have never been slaves to anyone. Coming from a Jew, and I'm scratching my head. Never been slaves to anyone? You guys are out of your minds. What great nation has not had you as a slave? I mean, it comes to mind. The Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, Syria, now, perhaps you had some brief moments of freedom, but you spent a lot of time enslaved. David Guzik points out, while they were making this statement from the Temple Mount, they could look across and see Fort Antonio with a garrison of Roman soldiers looking down upon them, ruling over them at that very moment. They have been slaves in the past, and currently they were under the thumb of Rome. So I think obviously they were not referring to their political freedom. Perhaps those speaking were wealthy Jews. We aren't slaves. We own slaves, Jesus. And they were incensed that Jesus would refer to them as slaves. But I don't think that's the argument they're making. They don't say, we are rich landowners. They say, we are offspring of Abraham. So most likely, they're alluding to that special relationship they have with God. We are the children of Israel. We're not slaves. We have the law, the priesthood, the promised land. We are the people of God. We are no scumbag Gentiles. We are no half-breed Samaritans. How dare you refer to us as slaves? So next, Jesus responds to their argument. Response number one, very matter of fact, you are slaves to sin. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, so see it truly, truly, you pay attention. Jesus is trying to make a big point here. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. He's already said they need to be set free. By implication, he's saying they are practicing sin and thus are slaves to sin. William Hendrickson says that verse 34 is one of the most remarkable things ever said by Jesus Christ. Now, if he had said Gentiles are slaves to sin or Gentiles are in darkness, Gentiles are in bondage, these Jews would have given a hearty amen. But he says everyone, all of humanity is at the same level. These Jews are at the same level as Gentiles and Samaritans, and that is very offensive for a Jew. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. In the Old Testament, 
We have real history. Real people, real places, real events. Open your Bible to the back of the book. You can find maps of where all these events took place. However, in this real history, we often see God orchestrating history to make a point and to teach us spiritual truths. Slavery in Egypt was primarily a picture of the general state of man after the fall, enslaved to sin. Moses, the deliverer, a true historical figure, was primarily a picture of the great deliverer to come, Jesus, the Savior of the world. Since the fall of man in the garden, we all, Jews and Gentiles, have been born in sin. Born in a sinful, corrupted state, born slaves. Give you a few proof texts. Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Ecclesiastes 7.20, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good, and does not sin. Not even one. Oh, that's what this is for. Ha, ha, ha. There we go. Psalm 58, 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Romans 5, 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And Romans 3.23, I'm sure you have it memorized. Let's say it together. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Since the garden, we have all been born with a sin problem. Born enslaved to sin. We don't just commit sin. We make a practice of it. It is in our nature. What do sinners do? They sin. Sinners sin. This is the regular habitual pattern of our lives until Jesus sets us free. 1 John 3, 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So Jesus is giving this acid test of a true disciple of himself. He doesn't keep on sinning. He doesn't make sin a practice. He's not a slave anymore. Not that he never sins, but the general state of his life is freedom. Jesus is the underground railroad that will deliver you out of bondage, out of the condemnation of sin, out of the practice of sin that has enslaved you. However, apart from Jesus Christ, we are in bondage to sin. We are slaves. And that is an offensive thing to say to these Jews who see themselves as God's people. Kevin DeYoung says, If your Jesus doesn't say hard, offensive things, then your Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. If you've read the Gospels very much, you realize you can't get very far without stumbling over 
things that are offensive, things that kind of irritate you and irritate the people that Jesus is speaking to. In the next verse, Jesus cranks up the offensiveness another notch. Maybe another few notches. So response number two, slaves get the boot, sons get to stay. Verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So Jesus says, you are slaves and you're getting kicked out of the house. At some point, you're getting the boot. So the house is God's house. And in this house, there are slaves and there are sons. It's the wheat and the tares all over again. The tares will be thrown out and burned. The slave does not remain, the text says. The slaves may be dismissed or sold. So Jesus has just told these Jews that they are slaves. Yes, yes, you are Israelites. Verse 37, Jesus admits, you are the offspring of Abraham. You have enjoyed the benefits of being God's chosen nation. You've enjoyed the benefits of God's word, God's leaders, God's protection, and God's blessings in so many, many ways. But you're still slaves. And God can get rid of you any time he wants. These slaves who, according to Jesus, are, let me remind you, not true sons of Abraham, not true sons of God, and are sons of the devil, are on their way out. They are the unworthy tenants. They are the cursed fig tree that bore no fruit. They are the slaves that got to stay in the house for a time. Now, you're like, yikes, Jesus! Have you ever read How to Win Friends and Influence People? You're ticking people off. Those are some tough words. And it's not surprising, later if you skip to the end of the chapter, John 8 verse 59, they pick up stones to kill him. The slaves are on their way out, but the sons stay in the house. The text says they remain forever. There's some eternal security for you. If you're in, you're in. They stay in the family. They stay free. Response number three, the son sets people free indeed. Verse 36, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In order to be free, and maybe you're sitting there going, I, I want to be free, John. <laughs> Tell me, how do I get this freedom? In order to be free... In order to become a son, you need the son. In order be to become a lowercase s son, you need the uppercase s son. Jesus is the only begotten son of God. He is the son. He is also a son maker. He's a son factory. He is a Moses. He is a Harriet Tubman. He has the keys to your shackles. Look no further than Jesus Christ and you will be free indeed. Jesus is going to set you really free, truly free. Now, maybe you're thinking, God, I'd really like my credit cards paid off. Be nice to have a little more money in the bank, a little more financial freedom. 
I could use a better governor, a better president, maybe some more political rights. But Jesus isn't so much after changing your present circumstances. He's about changing your heart and your eternity. He's going to forgive your sin, remove your guilt, fill you with his Holy Spirit, and give you peace. How would you like some peace in your life? He's going to give you joy. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. That is true freedom. And if you have that kind of freedom, it doesn't matter where America goes. It doesn't matter what they do in Sacramento or Washington, D.C. You are free in Christ and you can stand in that freedom. Jesus is looking to set you free by transforming your entire life from the inside out. Kevin DeYoung says, Jesus is not here to shine up sinners. He is not about stapling fresh apples to dead trees. No, God is about making you a new creation in Christ Jesus. When Jesus sets you free, he changes your identity. You go from slave to son, from bondage to freedom. You, and I'm talking to true believers, not right now, not you who had believed one time or you who go to the church or crack your Bibles occasionally, but you who are believing, you who are persevering in the faith, you who abide in his word, you are his true disciples. You have been adopted into the family of God. You are sons. The Bible calls you sons. And it's alluding to the rights and the benefits of those firstborn sons of Israel. Rhett Perrow says, Girls, if you have a hard time with us calling you sons, you need to understand how we men have a hard time being called the bride of Christ. Your guilt is gone. Your sins are forgiven. Your eternity is secure. I am proclaiming that over you right now. Your guilt is gone. Your sins are forgiven. Your eternity is secure. You have everlasting life. You are empowered to walk in the ways of the Lord. And you are becoming day by day more and more like your rabbi. You are the true disciples, no longer slaves. You are free. Saints of God, repeat after me. I will abide in his word. I am a true disciple. I know the truth. I am free. I am free. I am free, I am free indeed. While you stand, let's pray. Oh God, I thank you for the wisdom of Pastor Tim and Elder Kelly, Lord, and choosing for us to go through this series on celebrating freedom, celebrating this freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And God, you have painted a picture of freedom and oh, how sweet it is. 
Lord, I pray that you would drive lost souls to jealousy this morning that they would see how good the saints of God have it, and they would want Jesus more than they want their sin. And Lord, there are some here who aren't sure where they stand in the faith. They're not sure if they're saved. They just keep sinning. It seems like sin is the practice of their lives rather than just an occasional stumbling. God, I pray that you would grant them godly sorrow. I pray that you would open their eyes, that you give them faith to believe, that you would give them true repentance, and you would transform them from slaves to sons. And Lord, for those who are believing, they are the true disciples who abide in your word. Never let them forget how good they've got it. They know the truth, and they are free. Lord, you have lavished your love upon them. You have given them the riches of heaven. And Lord, I pray that you would let these realities cause daily eruptions of joy and worships to happen in their lives, God. Lord, let our quiet time come alive as we meditate on the freedom that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.